hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. cool shit plug for the week is a digital benefit show that will be streamed live on Facebook on Friday, June 26th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Black Drag Magic is local to San Diego, hosted by Amber St. James and Strawberry Corn Cakes. All coin and proceeds will go to supporting San Diego LGBTQ Black Coalition. I'm a huge fan of Strawberry Corn Cakes, as well as the gorgeous queens that will be participating at the event. I seriously cannot wait to watch, donate, and support. As always, all the information will be in the description so that you can find these queens, follow along, and support them. Again, Black Drag Magic is on Friday, June 26th at 7 p.m. Pacific. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the episode. My guest this week is going to be television art director John Zyker. It's a really fun episode, so let's just hop on into it. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. <laughs> it's another day. What day even is it anymore? Right. It's. <laughs> I was talking to a friend who, who said, man, like April just flew by. And I was like, what are you talking about? April was five years long. <laughs> I totally agree. And to my guests that are listening, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And the lovely voice on the other end you are hearing today is my friend and art director in the entertainment industry, John Zyker. Yay! <laughs> well, I'm just going to let you uh, hop into it. So go ahead and give your elevator pitch and who you are, what you do, etc. Sure. Um, so yeah, my name's John Zyker. Uh, I'm an art director and I work predominantly in television uh, in the uh, what's called live variety format. Uh, an art director is someone who is responsible for the set design of various shows. Um, I tend to work on uh, a lot of award shows, uh, some music shows, some reality competition, game shows, things like that. Anything that basically doesn't have a like script with characters, um, usually in front of a live audience of sorts. Um, basically what I do is I work with a production designer and the designer, the production designer is responsible for the look of the set. And sometimes that means that they will give me a rough sketch of something. Sometimes that means they'll give me a really fully developed 3D model that they've done. And my job is to take that and turn it into a physical set that exists that can be filmed on. Um, so that involves doing some drafting, that involves working with all of these different vendors that uh, build things. I work with decorators that help decorate the things. Um, and yeah, that's sort of the, you know, that's the long and short of, of what being an art director is. Um, I've been working in LA for a little over seven years. Uh, before that I was in New York. And before that, I grew up in Chicago, 
uh, where I got my start doing set design for theater. So my background is theatrical. Um, and then I, I've moved into television when I, when I moved to Los Angeles. That is awesome. Um, I That's love cool. that. I have, uh, I, ha I personally have a friend that is a costume uh, and wardrobe stylist in TV. Um, oh, so, and I just like hearing you talk about that reminds me because she started out in theater as well. Um, uh, doing that um, and I think that's really cool and I, I like I'm excited to kind of follow the stuff that you've been working on um, but we'll get into kind of how you and I met um, which is you know fun fact haven't met in person <laughs> yeah. yet one a pandemic but two you would be my best friend if I met you in real life for sure um, which we will eventually <laughs> when it's safe yes, yes. Um, but uh, John and I are both part of the LGBTQA plus ally group um, for Peloton. So we both have a Peloton bike. Um, and, uh, he just so happened to post on my post when I was sharing a previous, uh, episode that I had where I had interviewed someone that was also in the group. And I was very excited to get to know him because I think that in, um, in, in exploring the topic of imposter syndrome, I found that, a lot of people uh, feel this way, especially in certain industries, whether it's marketing, whether it's music, whether it's artistry or television, um, what have you. It's a resounding theme that there's just this feeling of being found out as a fraud and this feeling of, um, please just don't kick me out, which is the exact you know, name of yes, the podcast yeah. in general. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with you today. Excellent, yeah. I. I am very excited also. It's, it's <laughs> definitely something that, uh, it's not the first time I've talked about it with somebody. <laughs> yeah. For the first time that I haven't paid somebody to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like my therapy. I should be going to therapy, um, but uh, instead I'm talking into a microphone. So <laughs> if this helps one person, works, I've done right? my job. <laughs> yes. So let's just jump into it. So we'll start with um, kind of the prompt, which is, uh, you know, the feeling of, do you have it figured out kind of, you know, do you have the key to life right now? Do you know, like what's happening? Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I have it all figured out. I don't know why you would, why you would even <laughs> guess I didn't No, I, you know, it, I, I feel like I have some things figured out, right? I feel like I can do my job competently and I know what steps need to be done. Um, I feel like that's figured out. But yeah, I, I, I do always struggle with, you know, anytime I make a mistake at work, it's, it's never like, oh, I'm a human and I made a mistake. It's always, um, oh, this is the day that everyone finds out I don't know what I'm doing and I get fired and I have no career, uh, you know. Um, and I mean, not every mistake, you know, not, you know, not every mistake, but a lot of mistakes um, that, you know, that's the process that goes through my head. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I've, I've been working for seven, you know, seven and a half so years and, I'm making a living and I'm supporting myself. So I, I have to, I have to say that I have something figured out and I don't know if it's it. 
<laughs> I can totally relate to that feeling that like, you're like, oh, like you make the dumbest mistake. It's like so stupid, so trivial. Mm-hmm. Trivial. No one's gonna notice it, but you notice it, right? Like, like for me, yeah. like and working as a marketing and social media, it's like ah, I used the wrong like word, or I I put a comma where it shouldn't have been, or or yes. you know this yeah. or that, and and then I would agonize over it. I mean, yes, I'm laid off at this current point in time. But I, um, you know, even in my career, it's like, I'm so hard, much harder on myself because I'm like, oh, this is the day they're going to see that typo and they're going to go, no, no, yep. bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and with, with me, you know, with my job, a lot of my responsibilities have a, you know, have a dollar amount tied to them. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm responsible for delivering, you know, a set uh, you know, at a specific budget. And so the hardest part for me, the most nerve wracking part for me is putting that initial first budget together because, you know, I have conversations with shops and with, with rental vendors and, you know, I get prices from them. And then I, you know, I, I have to sort of pad those numbers because I know that things will change or mm-hmm. I will make a mistake. I will overlook something. And, and even though I plan for that, every time I, you know, I, I go to a shop and I see, oh, this drawing wasn't quite clear enough. And so we have to change the thing that's being built. And they say, okay, well, that's going to be, you know, $5,000. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, it's like, but it's like, I have that built into the budget. I'm not actually going to get fired, but I always, I always feel like an idiot anytime that happens. <laughs> and it happens all the time. <laughs> I think it's smart though, that you're, that you're thinking ahead though, in that strategy, because we always need a little bit of padding and wiggle room. It would be yes, so much worse yeah. if you were like, it's 3000. And then they're like, actually, this is made of gold plated <laughs> yeah. uh whatever and, and 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 it can only be that and you're like oh shoot <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah it's it, it's definitely and that's something that you know I learned over the course of you know when I when I started and you know and I've had I had experiences where I went over budget with things and and you know I felt so crushed by that and you know because you know producers aren't happy when you tell them this is going to be a hundred thousand dollars and then you come back and you're like well actually it was a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars like that's not like a fun conversation to have um uh, you know and so a lot of those those specific moments stick in my head of you know mm-hmm. some of the bigger like mistakes that really stressed me out and and so that's a thing that I come back to a lot too. Oh, well, remember five years ago when I made this mistake, you know, why would anyone think that I'm capable of doing this job? And, you know, and I have to tell myself and I have to sort of reel that back in and, mm-hmm. you know, realize that, you know, this producer was not on that show. They did not know I yep. made that mistake five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I totally, I totally get that. And it's kind of funny because it's like, all of my career blunders, so to speak. If anyone who's going to employ me in the future hears this episode, I'm highly employable. Um, but uh, I, I I got the opportunity to like move the fuck away, you know? And I was like, no one will know. No one will know. Um, but I also like, that's the kind of shit that keeps me up at night where I'm like, yes. I'm lying in bed and all of a sudden, like, I'm like, I can't fall asleep. And then my brain's like, you, let's take a trip down awful memory lane. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like take yes. my hand, let's go. And then and then I have the Sunday scaries and I don't know why and it's like Tuesday. Um mm-hmm. so I totally get that. And it, it but it is a learning curve. Um I think that, you know, 
as in careers, we're always learning as we go, um, kind of what works and what doesn't work. So in my most recent position as a marketing director, I felt a lot more prepared because I had all those tools from like all of the past. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. So, so now I'm like, I take no shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm very much, uh, I'm very much, uh, I, not like a miss, I guess a miss Cleo moment where I like look into the future and I'm like, this is where these things will happen. So I have to make sure mm-hmm. that X, Y, and Z is taken care of first. So I think, yeah, yeah. The and that, really that. Is the, that really is the trick with, you know, when you're doing, especially, you know, in our field, which is a little more, um, freelance a little you know more project based where you're not you know you're not doing the same job over and over again every time you know every time I start on a show even when it's like a second season of a show I've done before it does it's not the same show there's going to be something different about it and you just have to you have to carry those the things you've learned and those bad memories that you have and sort of say, okay, like in the past I did this and that was not right. So I don't want to do that again. And then there will always be something else that comes up that you're not prepared for. Um, But, and that's the battle, right? Is when Mm -hmm. those things come up that you don't, that you don't beat yourself up and say, you know, oh, well, I'm clearly, you know, bad at my job because this thing that I have never had to deal with before it came up and now I have to deal with it. Like, that doesn't mean that you're bad at your job. That just means that that thing hasn't come up before. Um, yeah. But it's hard because it's, you know, I, I think sometimes your natural feeling is, is, well, you know, if I was better at my job, this wouldn't have come up. Oh, 100%. I totally, totally understand that. And I think like, um, you sound very similar to me, like, <laughs> like we are our own worst critics at the, at the, at the, at the helm, you know, mm-hmm. and um, in this kind of pandemic and this, you know, in this quarantine time, I've taken in the chance to like introspectively look and really like talk myself up where I'm like, okay, I'm really great actually at what I did. And mm-hmm. I look back on, you know, yes, I got laid off because of COVID, but like, I look back on it and I'm like, you know what? Like I did my very damn best every single time. And I'm proud of what yeah. I did. And that is, I've never looked back at a job before and been like, I'm honestly just proud of myself. Um, yeah. So that's like a new feeling that I'm exploring. Hey, <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's kind of uh, move on into imposter syndrome. Uh, success and imposter syndrome are so deeply ingrained. Um, but uh, do you feel like you fit in slash do you suffer from imposter syndrome in what ways and what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think that I, I definitely know I suffer from imposter syndrome and it's, uh, it's something that I, you know, talk to my therapist about a bunch and, and we try to, you know, come up with ways to combat it. One of the, the things that I know about myself is because I started in theater and I now work in television. I think that was a big, uh, that was a big trigger for the imposter syndrome to to start. I I I was thinking about this before our talk, and I didn't. I don't know if if I would have said that I suffered from imposter syndrome when I was doing theater, and I think part of that was because I started doing theater from a very young age. Mm-hmm. I you know when I was a child, I was really into acting and singing, and I was doing a lot of um, professional performing um, in Chicago. And when I got into middle and high school, I 
I got less interested. I was less interested in being on stage, but I still loved theater. And so I decided to do stage crew. And when I was in high school, that was my primary artistic outlet was uh, being in stage crew. And then I, I went to undergrad for set design. And when I finished undergrad, I worked in Chicago uh, in the storefront theater scene for a few years. After that, I went to grad school um, for set design again. And so, you know, my life was always theater, theater, theater. And I think I always felt really comfortable in that medium. Um, and after grad school, I moved to New York and um, I went to grad school at uh, Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And the Carnegie Mellon Alumni Network is very it's strong in New York and very strong in LA. And I, LA had never really been in the forefront of my mind growing up because I was so theater focused. I was, you know, my plan was I'm gonna go to grad school, I'm gonna move to New York, I'm gonna work as an assistant for a few years. I'm gonna start designing my own shows. And, you know, within five to 10 years, I'll be designing on Broadway and, you know, I'll mm -hmm. be a, you know, Tony winning sex designer, that, you know, in my head, that was, <laughs> that was the goal. Um, and what, what ended up happening when I was living in New York was that I was assisting just like every designer I had ever wanted to work with, I got to assist. And that was really, really wonderful. And I was, I worked on some really fun projects and, I just was like the most miserable I've ever been. <laughs> um, because it turned out that, you know, New York City was not the right city for me to live in. And so even though I was really happy with the work that I was doing, you know, personally, I wasn't, I wasn't very happy. And, um, you know, there were some circumstances that, that happened that made me start to question whether New York was the right city for me to live in. And um, when uh, I had a friend of mine who was in grad school with me, uh, who was a costume designer and she passed away very suddenly and she had been living in LA with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. They had moved out to LA. And um, when that happened, it was like this, there was like a switch that went off in me. And I said, you know what? Like everybody that I want to be with in this moment, everybody that I need to be with mm -hmm. to grieve and to, you know, to hold me up is in LA um, or still in Pittsburgh at school, but you know, I'm not going to move back to Pittsburgh, but I was like, <laughs> but maybe I need to move to LA and be with the people that, that I, you know, I want to be around. But because my, my whole life had been about theater, you know, I, I, I knew that if I moved to LA, that theater would not be my my career anymore. I, there is a theater scene out here, but it's not, you know, it's not a sustainable living in the way that, I mean, not that, you know, the New York theater scene is a sustainable living either, but, you know, it, it doesn't offer as much possibility as, as the New York theater scene. And so I, I, you know, I made that choice though, that that it was more important for me to be with the people that I wanted to be with and so when I moved to LA, my big fear was, am I going to find work that I like? And, you know, am I selling out as an artist? Am I, you know, it was a lot of that. Uh, and what ended up happening was, you know, when I moved to LA, I, 
I fell into, uh, well, I didn't fall into, I mean, I, you know, aggressively sought work in the television world, but I fell into the niche of television, which is the live variety world. Mm -hmm. And for me, live variety television really satisfies a lot of what I love about doing theater in that it's, you know, there are live shows, there's an audience, there's a group of people that are working together all at the same time to create the show. Um, they're, you know, that's what it is. But it's not a very popular form of television to work in. Everybody that, you know, comes to LA wants to work on Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or, you know, they want to work on these scripted shows. And so being in the live variety world and really loving that world, I was able to move up quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I started as a PA and I PA'd on a few shows and then I sort of did assistant art directing and then I became an art director. But once I started working in television, it was only about, you know, a year and a half to two years where I was an art director working on my own sort of smaller scale shows, but working on my own. And so I think that was a big trigger for me for imposter syndrome in that I felt like, oh, I didn't put in you know, I didn't grind, right? Like a lot of people come to come to LA and they PA for years and then maybe they become a, a coordinator and then they coordinate for a while and then maybe they're an assistant art director. And then, you know, th there's sort of a grind that happens in the scripted world. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of live variety television, I was able to work on a lot more shows right away. I was able to raise up the ranks a lot faster and so that, and that introduced this element of, I don't belong here to mm -hmm. me, that it was, oh, this is all happening too fast. I'm, I am attaining this position without, you know, having worked quote unquote hard enough for it. Um, and that's, I think that's the imposter syndrome that has stuck with me is, you know, I think because I had spent my whole life building up this theatrical resume, when I was working with these really big people in New York, it, it felt like a natural progression mm -hmm. of what I had been doing. And when I got out to LA and I was working on these like giant shows right away, it felt like I shouldn't be here. I'm somehow tricking people. They're gonna find out, <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I love that. I love your story of kind of how you got to where you need, you are. Um, just to relate to you and to my listeners, I probably haven't shared this, but I actually did a production assistance for uh, one episode of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Wow. Uh, <laughs> one, one in my claim to fame. Um, and just having had that experience, it is grueling work. You get paid literally nothing. Um, and uh, you, I, I, I spent most of my work that week for the episode looking like sitting in front of Gordon Ramsay's trailer. And that was my whole week in, in, in middle fucking nowhere, Colorado, meth town, yeah. USA, <laughs> where a former Taco Bell became an Italian restaurant and they microwaved everything. Um, and, and I, and I'm, I am a trash panda through and through. I love reality TV. I love live shows. I love game shows. I am all about everything you're doing for TV. So please don't stop doing it. Yes, um, yeah. 
And so I really love your story. And I think it's really, um, I think, I think that you made a really logical transition because theater, um, and live television are so similar in a lot of ways. Um, just one's recorded and the other one isn't. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think that's really awesome. And I'm glad that you were able to move to a point where you have a support system, which I think like a lot of people don't tend to have that, but you had this like come to Jesus moment kind of that really, really spoke to you in a really beautiful way. So I'm really excited that you were able to like follow your path to where you are today. And it's like, honestly, a pleasure to know you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I look back on now and and just know that like, it was the right decision. Right. And it really, you know, it changed my life in terms of my happiness and in terms of, you know, I, it like, it, it changed, it changed the way that I approach my life because I think for so long I had this planned out path, you know, mm-hmm. it was that, it was the path to designing on Broadway and winning a Tony and, and that, and, and, it allowed me to to understand that in our lives, paths can diverge, paths can change, and that changing or diverging doesn't mean that you like weren't good enough to go along the path or that you would not have gotten to the end if you had followed that path. It just means that you know that path was no longer the path that you should be on. And, uh, you know, I think that was, it was hard for me initially because I felt like I was giving up on a lifetime goal. And so I think that also maybe added to the imposter syndrome a little bit because it was, you know, I was telling myself, I'd given up on this thing that I was, you know, building for a lifetime. And now I'm in this sort of higher position on a, on a, in a field that wasn't important to me until seven years ago. And did I, you know, have I earned that? Have I, have I, do I deserve that? And one of the things that I love about television is that there really aren't any people that go to school to learn how to do television. That's a, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some programs that, that do teach that now, but you know, a lot of, there's a lot of film schools, right? And those people are going to, you know, they want to make movies and and they're doing that. And there's a lot of theater. Uh, A lot of television people come from, a lot of television people come from the theatrical world. A lot come from architecture, a lot come from interior design. There's a lot of people that work, that are just visual artists. And and so as I worked in television longer, one of the things that has helped me overcome the imposter syndrome is just meeting all of the various people that I've met and realizing that you, that no one is coming from a position where like their whole lives they wanted to work in television and you know everyone kind of finds television at some point and you know and they all come from different backgrounds so there's not there's not a specific way to be a you know in my case there's not a specific way to like learn to be an art director you, you can approach it from so many different points of view and so many different histories 
And so that's really helpful because it's 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 not like, oh, I skipped ahead in line, you know, in, in line. It's just sort of like, oh, I like I constantly have to tell myself, like, no, I am just good at my job. Like there I'm yeah. I'm good at doing the job. <laughs> so yeah. that's why that's why I continue to do it. Yeah. Um it's you know, it's nobody is nobody is hiring me just because. <laughs> right. right. I love that you say that, you know, it's so in, in listening to what you just said, it, it sounds like you're hearing everyone's story and you're realizing like, oh, like the grass is not always greener on the other side. Like we all came to do this thing. Like I might've envied you, but really like you came from, you know, this background or that background. And mm -hmm. I think that that takes a lot of like, uh, that that probably helps you feel at peace with your decisions and also like better in your career. But I, I, I totally got where you were coming from on like the ranking and upranking. Um, for yeah. me, like in my career, like I got my last position, my most recent position, I was a marketing director. Um, it, it was a title that was more senior than I've ever had. Um, mm -hmm. Now, and, and so for me, it was very hard for me to come to terms with that, uh, that label because I was like, well, have I earned this? Have I, have I, did I, like, what did I do to get here? Cause I, you know, I didn't even apply for that position. I, I actually got hired for a different thing. And then he was like, no, you're the marketing. Oh, director. sure. And I yeah. was like, uh, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> like, but of course I'm capable. I mean, I've been, I've been handling brands for close to ten, going on 10 years now. I've been almost out of college for 10 years in December mm -hmm. and I've been working in advertising, public relationships, public relations and marketing, um, since then. Uh, yeah. and so I, I, I like, it, it's really hard to, to tell yourself that you belong. It's really hard to tell yourself that you've earned it. Um, yeah. it's, it's just, and it's, it's only because I think there's a level of me being a perfectionist and mm -hmm. I think there's a level of me, um, being very proud of what I do and my work. And there's also marketing is usually the first department to go. So sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm laid off, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but you know, marketing is usually the first to go. And so there's always this level of like, when are they going to decide they don't need marketing? Um, well, and, and, and yeah. And that, that idea of being a perfectionist, that speaks to me a lot too, because one of the things that I love about my work is that I love to do it so much mm -hmm. and that I want to do it. And, you know, so I always want to be, I always want to be better. I always want to be working on bigger shows and, and things like that. And I think that anyone who's that kind of motivated, that's, that's a good, that's that you're ripe for developing imposter syndrome when you're really motivated because you want to succeed like you, you know there's a part of you that wants to do those bigger things but then you know that that part of your brain that sort of lizard brain tells you you know okay well but here's the thing to be scared about if you if you do that bigger thing like are you going to be able to do it are you going to fail are you you know will everyone find out that you're terrible like you know if you take this chance will you just blow it and you know but you have to push through that mm -hmm. to to get any better and it's you know i i would be interested to find out if if there are people that you know have been working in sort of like long term 9 to 5 jobs that that suffer with imposter syndrome like i almost wonder i i, I would almost you know guess that there's probably not I, you know i think that I, I would assume that a lot of the people that suffer from imposter syndrome are 
you know, working in sort of a freelance form or our creatives mm -hmm. or are at the, you know, pinnacle of what their, you know, what maybe their office job is, the directors, the vice presidents, the, you know, those, the higher ups, the, um, yeah. So yeah, I think, you know, we're our own worst enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you said something very poignant right there. You said, you know, the only way through it is to push and to push through it, right? And that for mm -hmm. my listeners is a huge piece of advice. Um, that, you know, we are our own worst critics. And a lot of the times the only way out is through. Um, mm -hmm. in terms of careers. And so if you feel like you're incapable of doing something, take a step back, look at yourself from a 30,000 foot overview, realize how far you've come and um, know that eventually you'll be looking back on that point and being like, wow, look where I'm at. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, and that, you know, it's, it's cliche, but cliches exist for a reason mm -hmm. in that you don't learn from doing something well. Like you learn from mistakes, you learn from, you learn from fucking stuff up because <laughs> you learn what not to do. Like if you, if you never make any mistakes, like sure, you'll get something done, but will it be the best? Will it be, you know, will you, will you, you know, be satisfied? It's like, no, it, you have to challenge yourself and in challenging yourself, you will make mistakes. Like, I think that's a thing, like, we also have to realize is that we will make mistakes. Like, we have to, you know, like, that's why I, why I pad budgets when I, you know, when I give numbers to producers for the first time is because I know that I will have forgotten stuff. I, every show I work on, I forget something. And, uh, you know, and I always remember it. I'm like, oh, like, fuck, I totally forgot, you know, to put audience seating you know, I forgot the like cost of rental chairs for audience seating, and, <laughs> but you know, but then I, I have enough money to cover that kind of stuff or whatever. But yeah. you know, it's like, but then like the next job, I don't forget. <laughs> right, right. You sound very similar to me. Um, and I like, I'm a person that like, when I make a mistake, like I'm like an elephant, like I do not forget that I made that mistake. Yeah. And I learn like, it's like, boop, nugget in the brain, like, okay, like we're not doing that again. Like never yeah. ever do that again. Um, <laughs> if anything, it's like, I give myself like uh, like bowling alley bumper system where I'm like, okay, oh, now okay. we're padded in and we won't forget that thing. Or yep. we won't, we won't, we won't do that again. Um, yeah. So I like that. So let's kind of move on. And so imposter syndrome and the feeling of fitting in and the feeling of being found out as a fraud. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of intertwined um, feeling of like success. And um, so every person has a different like outlook on what success means to them. So what does success look like to you? And on that vein, do you feel successful? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think success has a lot of, success has a lot of shapes that it can take. Um, I think there's, you know, creative success. Uh, so that for me looks like being able to, you know, when I, I think I will feel creatively successful when I am able to, you know, when I work on a show that I really love and, and I feel is a really quality product that then other people validate that by, you know, people that watch it really love it, or, uh, you know, you win an award or mm -hmm. something that, you know, there's that sort of creative success. I think, you know, uh, financial success obviously is, is one thing. And, you know, I've, I've always, 
said, you know, I, I mean, I would love to be like dirty rich. Like I would love to just be like so filthy, <laughs> dirty rich, but you know, realistically my, you know, my financial goals are like, I don't want to have to worry about paying bills. I, mm-hmm. I want, I would like to get to a point where, you know, I, I know that I can always pay my rent. I know that I can always have food on the table. Um, and, you know, and I can travel. I, I really, you know, I really love to travel and it's not a thing that I got to do a lot growing up. Um, uh, you know, we did a lot of car trips and things like that, but, um, you know, we didn't do a ton of like flights and things like that. And, you know, I didn't really do a lot of, I didn't do any international travel until I was in high school really. Um, and, so that's a that's a passion that I have developed, and you know, so financial success to me looks like, oh, I'm able to pay my rent, I'm able to feed myself, and I'm able to go on, you know, a, a nice international trip maybe once a year or something like that. That's the goal, um, and you know, and and yeah, the so that that I think that I'm I I think that I am partially successful is is how I I, w- I would say I feel. Um, you know, I am, you know, I have been able to pay my rent. I've been able to feed myself. I've gone on a few, you know, bigger international trips in my life now. Um, I am at the point where for me, I would like to start investing in my, you know, retirement Mm -hmm. fund and all of that stuff. And I don't really feel that right now like I don't feel like I'm mm-hmm. going to be okay for retirement like at the moment I'm like I am probably just going to work until I die which as an art director or production you know like I, eventually I would like to be you know my creative success successes I would like to be a production designer that's that's my the goal that I'm sort of working towards now I'd like to be the idea person um and you know production designers can be 80 and still doing their jobs and the fact of the matter is because I love what I do, you know, I don't necessarily see myself retiring ever, but you know, that could obviously change moving forward. Uh, and so, you know, financially, I would like to start setting myself up for that, for that opportunity or that option. Um, so that's something that I, I'm, I'm working on currently that, you know, I don't necessarily feel it, but I'm trying to work on it. Uh, and then, yeah, creative, creative success, you know, I, I would like to be able to only take shows that interest me. Right now I say yes to everything. I'm a total, <laughs> like, I'm a total whore. I will, I will say yes to pretty much any job. Um, and sometimes to the detriment of my happiness. <laughs> um, but you think, I think but, you have to do that, you know, because yeah. you don't know what, uh, opportunities will come from, especially in TV, where it's just yes. so like you you start a season and, and then the network's like nah, but you know you mm-hmm. have to be kind in, in your field. You have to be able to say yes to so many more things. But eventually, yes. it'll be nice. I agree with you to say no, like eh, mm-hmm. like nah. But then you're gonna have that weird like regret when something pops off that you did not anticipate. Yes, yeah, so like you the script yeah. that you passed on <laughs> or the show that you said no to. Um, which is a whole another level of things you'll have to talk about in therapy. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the, that's the thing. And, you know, one of the things that is to sort of tie back into imposter syndrome and success is um, seeing friends mm-hmm. succeed or, mm. or 
that that uh the appearance of success mm -hmm. maybe um because you know i work in a field where there's a lot of people that do you know there's a lot of shows and a lot of types of shows and you know i have a lot of friends out here that are in the industry and and i i see people working on shows and and sometimes that happens where it's like oh you know here's this person and they're working on all these like amazing shows and like i i could never get that show i could never you know i would never be up for this i would never be able to do that and it's you know it, and a lot of times i have to stop myself from feeling that way because or i have to like examine like am i am i saying that because the show that I'm working on currently, I don't enjoy, maybe, you know, it's, and, you know, so I'm not, I'm not enjoying the experience that I'm having currently. So I look at other people and, you know, I, I say, oh, it must be so much fun to be working on that show. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then I just tell myself that that person is having such a better experience and they're doing such better work and, you know, and, yeah. and that's not true. Um, or, you know, sometimes and now that i mean now that i'm an art director really the only sort of progression for me would be to become a production designer in terms of like that's the that would be the only higher position that i could attain in terms of my field um but like when i was younger when i was paing and when i was you know an assistant or whatever it was hard not to see like friends of mine or um people that were my age that were like at a higher position and, and not mm -hmm. beat myself up about not being there. Uh, yeah. That, you know, especially having, especially having started over uh, in my career, you know, I had to start from square one again. And I was 20, how old was I? I was, I was 28, I think when I moved to LA. And, you know, when you're 28 and you're a PA and all of the other PAs are 18, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's a little, you know, it's a little heartening. It's a little, uh, a little ego bruising. Um, and, you know, I have some very good friends that I work with who are around my age. They're a few years older than me, but they had gone to they had come out to LA like right after going to undergrad. And, you know, so they've, they've been working in LA, you know, a lot longer than I have. And that was a hard thing for me because I, I'd be in LA and I'd be like, oh, like here are these people that are like just a few years older than me. And they're like at the top of their game and they're, you know, they, they have houses and they have families with kids and they're, you know, like they have everything figured out. And, you know, here I am and I'm a PA and I, you know, I'm terrible. And, and I just had to realize like, well, we just took different paths, right? Like mm -hmm. I developed, exactly. you know, I developed a theatrical path and I went to grad school and I had all these other experiences in that time. And it's, you know, it's like, okay, and that, that was my path. And that, that was not any better or worse than, you know, than, than yeah. their path. And so that, you know, that's a, viewing the 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 lens of successes is tricky and and, and obviously with social media too Ugh, yeah it's that's the i mean it's just the fucking worst <laughs> i had a friend uh over the weekend so um 
uh, I was talking to her about um, just just some personal stuff, like regarding my, my dog and all that. Um, and I said, I said, oh, like, I feel like I'm going to lose, like, I'm going to, I said this, this came out of my fucking mouth. <laughs> I said, I feel like I lost followers based on the posts that I posted and that I'm being judged because of it. And she was like, excuse me? Like, why? Well, first of all, why do you care? You're telling your story. Second of all, who the fuck cares? And third, yeah what the fuck just came out of your mouth? And I realized like, I, that is the stupidest thing. I like, I, I just like, I think sometimes we get so caught up in what other people think and what other people display. And we forget yes. that people are showing their highlight reel. They're never actually showing the behind the scenes, no makeup, you know, yes. yeah. uh, eating, eating, a, eating, a you know, binge eating a pizza behind the closed <laughs> door. So that's kind of, something that I've had to teach myself, especially in working in social media for as long as I have as a social media manager and director and all that, um, is that we have this opportunity to curate what we see, but like the real deal is, I think we're moving towards a more authentic kind of world right now, but the real deal is a lot harder to come by. And so we have to like, kind of look through things with, we're looking through things with rose colored lenses, so to speak, where we're like, Oh, like, well, they, well, look at that. They won an award or like, look at this. Like they Mm -hmm. have like the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence and they own a house and blah, blah, blah. It's it's hard to not compare yourself um, in a lot of ways. And then it's also like, takes a lot of humility to realize that like everyone's on a different path. Kind of like how you said you had to realize I did these things too. And my path was different, but now if anything, I think like it makes me more appreciative when I come to a conclusion on my own and I go, Oh wow, I've done so much to get where I am. And like, I have to like look back and like give myself a, a pat on the back because yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have gotten here without that. And I like, I, I'm very much a person that like, I don't live with a ton of regrets. I'm a very, I, I try my best to be like a really good person. I try my best to be a good friend, a good mm-hmm. wife. Um, and, uh, I don't live with a whole lot of regrets. I don't look at my past through a regret lens or anything because how I met my husband wouldn't have happened if I'd done anything differently. So, and how, and where I'm at now in my career and my life wouldn't have happened had I not made the mistakes I made and done the, and taken the jobs I've taken the jobs that I I had or, or, you know, stayed in Denver for as long as I did. So like, I think that's a really um, smart and healthy thing to realize. And I think that that comes with age for my listeners that are listening to this, that, that it, uh, you know, your twenties are a shit show. <laughs> straight up, just, just, oh, totally. just garbage totally, trash. Yeah. You know, nothing. Like if I could go back in time and tell myself like, yeah, like, like I'm not going to butterfly affect it, but you're going to have a really hard time. You'll meet your significant other at 28. Just go on the date. Just don't even turn him down. Just go on yeah. the date. Uh, yeah. And then uh, you're, you're going to rage quit a job. It's going to happen. Uh, and now you live in San Diego and you're going to move again. Like that, like, like, but I, I, I also like, I'm kind of glad about the path that I took because, yeah. it, because I feel like I have so much life experience in comparison and I've lived a lot more life, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's really only something that you can look back on, right? Mm-hmm. You can't even experience that in the present moment because, you know, in the present moment, you just have to think about, okay, how is this affecting me at the moment? And it really is until you've lived it that you look back and say, oh, you know, here is, here is a moment where my life changed, you know, and, and for the better, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, and that, and that's Mm -hmm. why, 
you know, even even things that are hard, even hard experiences that I've lived through, I wouldn't change any of them because where I'm at right now, I, I'm really happy with. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't be where I'm at right now had anything in the past changed. And so when I, you know, when I'm unhappy, even though I'm like, oh, you know, I'm unhappy, I wish I could change everything. I, you know, I sort of think to myself, like, well, maybe this is, this is a moment where I change something that, you know, in a year, five years, 10 years, I look back on and realize like, oh, that was a really actual powerful moment in my life. Um, You know, where I'm, you know, I, even though I was feeling, you know, hopeless or, or, you know, powerless at that moment, that that was actually like a really powerful moment Mm -hmm. in my life. You know, but it's like, that's the, you know, the sort of cruel, the, the cruel fate of it is that you don't know that until you're, yeah absolutely that totally makes it makes 100 percent sense and i think like you know the more we can do that the better and look back Mm -hmm. on it um but in regards to imposter syndrome i mean there's so much to unpack here we really did touch on everything but now we get to the portion of my podcast that is my favorite where Mm -hmm. we talk about things we love and don't love um so uh, (laughs) we'll start with the things we're fanatical about and why um currently i am fanatical about uh, uh i'm really into uh tropical drinks right now and tiki tiki's like uh tiki drinks um i'm very excited about learning how to make those um (laughs) my husband is the cocktail man and he was gone for a month he's back now but i had to teach myself how to learn how to make cocktails um in a previous episode (laughs) i highlighted my friend uh dion who is doing a really rad thing right now called barkeep's choice right now he's sticking in the bourbon realm but uh i hope this is a plug for him that hopefully by the time this releases you've gone to tiki i want tiki (laughs) recipes but anyway uh my most recent like thing that i was really happy about was i made a painkiller um with uh with an almond syrup called orgy I don't even know if that's correct pronunciation. Do not come at me. I do not know. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and a lot of rums. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what's been making me happy. Um, Probably not so much my liver, but uh, (laughs) I cannot wait to live in Hawaii. If you cannot tell. I, you know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm not a huge drinker. I I mean, I enjoy a drink from time to time, but I've never been like, uh, I, I, I actually like, I hate the feeling of being drunk. And so, um, I I try to avoid it, uh, but my my friends and I I have uh, three friends that are you know sort of my family out mm-hmm. here that I I see all the time and uh, before you know pre COVID we had a Sunday night ritual of going to a Mexican restaurant uh, in LA called Don Cuco and so we'd go every Sunday and we'd you know get dinner and drinks and then we'd usually go back to um, two of them live together. Uh, we'd go back to their house and watch television and, you know, whatever. Um, and they're all tequila drinkers. So they all, you know, they always get margaritas and, and I'm not a big tequila drinker, um, but I, I do like a pina colada. <laughs> but what? I can never, I can never order it. Like I can. With a straight face. I always you're like, like, you're like I, never order face. I always like, I always like sort of look down into the side and then I sort of like, no own that like, girl <laughs> own it i appreciate that i'm all about that you know what oh Fuck it. I, yeah but i do love i do love a tiki drink when i was yes. in college the like the drunkest i've ever been was uh when i was in, in college in chicago there was a 
a tiki bar. Three dots and a dash? Did, uh, what? Was it three dots and a dash? Uh, no, I think this is pre three dots mm, and a dash. Okay. Um, it was in Lakeview. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot remember the name. I'd have to look it up. But they did karaoke nights on, yes. you know, certain nights. <laughs> And so we went, I went with a bunch of friends and, you know, we were all in theater school. So, you know, a lot of like theater people and I love karaoke. Like I, 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 I don't do it as often as I, as I it would, you know, you I should. would like to, um, but it's, I, I love doing it, but I just got drunk really fast because the drinks are really sweet and they don't taste mm-hmm. like alcohol. And, you know, so I was like, do, 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 do. And I think at some point, I ordered like one of every appetizer that they had yes, for like our table. <laughs> and I woke up the next day and I had like a you know $250 charge on my card. Because oh, <laughs> no. I was like, I, I ordered all these appetizers at some point. I think I bought people drinks. Like, I, <laughs> like so now whenever I whenever I have a tiki drink, I'm like, I, I have like a two drink maximum. <laughs> like yep. I can't. Yep. The sugar is it makes it a little unpredictable. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, of but course. They, are, they are good. They're yes, good. they are good. And I'm never a sweet drink person. So if I can taste the booze in it, then I know I can only have one. So, yeah. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, that's kind of like what I've been doing to pass the time. Fun. Yeah. That's fun. Um, so yeah, what are you fanatical about? I kind of read ahead and I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, I was trying to think of like, oh, what am I fanatical about? I mean, like, I'm a huge, like, Disney, like, theme park nerd. I've always been, like, super into theme parks and roller coasters. Actually, when I was in, when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school, I was, I was doing theater, but I had decided that my career was going to be roller coaster designer. Um, I and love that. so, you know, I was super <laughs> into roller coasters and I, and I actually, I took Japanese for, uh, for two years in high school or three years in high school um, because I had done all this research and I, you know, I learned that, you know, the major roller coaster design firms are in, were, uh, were in, you know, California, uh, Switzerland, and Japan is a major hub for roller coaster design. So it's like, well, I should learn Japanese and I'll be able to work in Japan or, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love and then, you know, so then much. I sort of learned that roller coaster design is really more like structural engineering and I, I wasn't very interested. In no, it's going to involve a lot of math. You're like, no, we're done. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I've always been a big, I've always been a big theme park uh, nerd and, and my my best friend, who's one of the the four that I um, that I have dinner with every Sunday, works for ABC Disney Television, and mm-hmm. uh, so he gets to go to Disneyland for free, and he can you know take people. And I have yeah. an annual pass, but you know, um, but like so we we go uh, not as much as I think we'd like, but we every year every year or eighteen months or so, will the two of us will do a trip to uh, Florida and go to Disney World for nice. a week or so. And it's a nice it's it's a nice trip because, you know, it's one of those like because he works there, it's like we get in the parks for free and, you know, he gets like discounted hotels and it's 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 one of those things where it's like every time we go, I'm like, how do families do this? Like this is it's so expensive for yeah. two people to go when everything is discounted. Right. <laughs> like, oh my God, you know. Um, so I feel very lucky that we're able to do that. Um, but Disney is definitely, a, mm-hmm. Disney and, and theme parks in general are definitely a passion of mine. Yeah, so um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm mm-hmm. also a gigantic Disney nerd. I have three Disney tattoos. 
Oh, um, that's exciting. And Growing Count. Shout out to Christina Ayers, my tattoo artist, who's actually my first episode, <laughs> guest, my first episode podcast guest. Um, and I, uh, because my husband's military, I get the military park hopper, which is like oh, way sure. discounted. I don't get any discounts at the park, but if you go with an annual pass person and then you Venmo them, you still get the discount. Yes. So uh, I know that for a fact, but I am very sad that Disneyland is closed right now. I, I, I went last year, I went four times. Okay. Um, and this year I've been once, but I, I like, I want to, you know, obviously like the world was like, we're going to shut down and Disneyland was like, heck, I've heard rumors that it's, that the parks are not going to open this year at all. And oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but it would make sense based on kind of where we're at right now. Um, mm-hmm. And also like, how do you social distance at a park? Because um, you're already standing in line at close proximity and there's always that person that stands literally right behind you and breathes on your neck. Right. I hate that person. <laughs> like, do you not believe in personal space? Yes. Like, hello. <laughs> um, but my most fanatical thing, and you, you talk about like kind of Disney and how they like design their parks and stuff. Mm-hmm. I am not a huge Star Wars fan, but... Galaxy's Edge is oh, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like just start to finish. I mean, they did such a phenomenal job. And I've only been, I haven't been to Disney World um, since I was eight, but I plan to, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see what they did there too, but it's just so beautiful. It's really fantastic. I actually, um, you know, living in LA and working in the entertainment industry, one of the worlds that I got exposed to when I moved here was the themed entertainment world. And there's not a ton of crossover in terms of like, there's not people that like work in television that also do themed entertainment. Like, I mean, sometimes maybe for specific projects or, um, but but I've just met a lot of, you know, in, in sort of running in a, you know, creative circles in LA, I've met a ton of people. And, and so I've met a few people that worked on Galaxy's Edge that, you know, were project managers and, you know, art directors and whatnot on that. And, and it's, it, it, it's stunning. It's a, it's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful part of the park. And I was lucky enough to go to Florida. Um, I went to the, I went to Orlando's, uh, Rise of the Resistance, uh, yes, not like it. right when it, it opened, but um, <laughs> but yeah, but I got to ride it. It was before it opened in California, and I was like, Is it like not none of my best? friends in LA have ridden this yet. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, let's let's just talk about it. Sorry to all my listeners, but I just have to say, is that not the greatest thing you've ever ridden? Oh, it's it is by far the most immersive ride I've ever been. On. I had it's, no idea what was happening. <laughs> yeah. It, and you know what was so funny was before we went, um, I had, you know, my friend Jeff who who I went with, you know, he had sent me like a video. He was like, Oh, he's like, Do you wanna watch like a video of the ride? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Like and I was sort of debating it and then I kind of was just like, I just wanna see what it is. So like I watched the video of the ride. And then when I went on it, I was like, there's no comparison. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, I, it doesn't matter that I, like, watched the ride because yeah. there was no comparison to, like, how it felt to be on that ride. It's just, like, you just truly feel like you're in a movie. Like, uh-huh. it's, it really is fantastic. Yeah. And um, I'm excited to see, like, how that, you know, I'm excited to see how that pushes the industry of, of themed entertainment because I think, you know, Harry Potter land really pushed the idea that you could develop a whole land 
you know, a really detailed land around one IP or intellectual property mm-hmm. um, instead of just like, oh, there's a ride that's this. It's, and so, you know, now, you know, I think, I think without Harry Potter land, like there would have been no Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of that yeah, you know, of the, and, and it's exciting, and then it's exciting to sort of see like, you know, these multiple ride systems that you're on, and you don't, you know, it's it the you know the queue is part of the experience, mm-hmm. and it's it's really it's really fantastic. Right, right, and I mean, if I had to like for my guests listening, if you've if you haven't ridden Rise of the Resistance, I don't want anyone anyone to feel left out. I also don't want to spoil it for anyone, um, and uh, it basically, if you have ever been to Disney and you've ridden the original Tower of Terror, um, and you have that frame of reference, or you've been to Disneyland and you've ridden Indiana Jones, um, or you've ridden Star Tours, uh, Mm. it's the three of those combined, but then multiply at times infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and just fantastic effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, there's, there were a lot of different effects where you know i will i only wrote it the once because it, you know it's so popular they have the the virtual boarding groups and 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 that sort of that deal um well actually technically i guess i wrote it one and a half times because it broke down while we were on it the first time i wrote it and then they gave us like a fast pass to go through again so i got like part way through and then you know i got to do some of it over again but the the effects that are in it I had to like watch these videos of like, how did they do, you know, like, cause I'm that kind of person. I want to know mm-hmm. how it was done, you know? So it's like, I want to know how it works. Like that's part of the the thing that I love about theme parks is I, I also like, I love seeing how the, you know, seeing how the magic is made. And um, cause there's something like the thing that I love about Disney is, is it's, it is such a manufactured place it's everything is everything is designed and every everything sort of guides you to feel a certain way and to go to certain places and to experience certain things but what that what that outcome is is happiness and so it's Mm -hmm. like why you know of course like I will give myself up and like just make me be happy (laughs) right right like there's for me like I I as a child I, we went to Disney World when I was six and we went to Disney World when I was eight. And I'm mm-hmm. very grateful to my parents. You know, I think that was a really amazing thing, but I never got to go back. And mm. Disneyland was, we went to Disney World, not Disneyland. And yep. I, we would only go in August because it was cheapest in August because it was hotter than hell. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, those memories will stick in my brain for the rest of my life. Um, you know, they were the most amazing trips, but I moved to, Cal- to California and I mean, I went to Disneyland with, once with my husband when we first started dating. Um, okay. And I'd been once with a previous boyfriend one other time. And so I'd been twice at that point. Uh, and he got me the uh, Disney pass so that I could do the park hopping. But I don't go with him. I go on days mm-hmm. that he has duty on a weekend usually because I would have, I worked a regular job. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was furloughed during the winter. So I went twice uh, around holidays. And, um, yeah, so for me, like Disneyland is my happy place. Like you cannot stop me from buying a pair of ears. Do I have <laughs> 10 of them already? Yeah, but I'm going to yeah. buy more things. Did I spend a shitload of money at cakeworthy.com? You fucking bet I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm a huge, huge, huge Disney fan, yeah, um, because I... to me, it's always been happy. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whatever my listeners' yeah. opinions are about Disney and their ethical decisions and stuff, currently the state of the company, I'm very proud of the steps they've taken and the way that they're handling the pandemic and all of that. Um, and I will gladly give them my money and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, I got, I, so I, I grew up, uh, my godmother lived in uh, Fort Lauderdale or just right outside of Fort Lauderdale. And so we went to visit, you know, her a couple of times when I was growing up. And I think, you know, maybe on two or two of those trips, we went to Disney world. And so growing up, Disney world was my, you know, was my knowledge base of, mm-hmm. of the Disney company. Um, and I had actually never been to California until when I was in grad school. I came I, I came to LA for um, spring break because I had some friends that had graduated and, and moved out here. But um, that was the first time I ever went to Disneyland. So I was like a full grown adult. And my first year that I lived in LA, I my mom got me a pass as my birthday present um, that year, which like was so great because what ended up happening was my first year in LA, because I didn't really know a lot of people, I didn't work very consistently. And so I had lots of time off. And one of the great things was that Disneyland was a free thing to do because I had a pass. And so I went all the time. I think I went like 20 times that year (laughs) to Disneyland. And so it became this, it became this like beautiful, like safe place to be when I was in a new situation, you know, when I was in a new living situation and, and whatnot. And, and so that has, that has really imprinted on Mm -hmm. my experience of, of Disney. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but I, and I do, I do love, like, I do love Six Flags. Like I still love a good roller coaster. I still love, you know, good thrill Uh ride. But but there's something wonderful about the. uh, Yes. It's immersive. the immersive yeah and my husband is uh because he grew up in uh orange county and he grew up very close to knott's berry farm his uh his first job was as a lifeguard at Mm. uh whatever the the water park is called i'm so sorry scott he's listening (laughs) to me from the other room um i think it's called soak city but not 100 certain um and he took me to knott's he took me he's been telling me about knott's berry farm for years he finally took me to knott's in uh December. It was around the holidays. And, um, <laughs> and I know I love him to death and I like, I, I, but I went on the first roller coaster, the ghost rider roller coaster, and uh-huh. I threw the fuck up. I've no. never done that in my lifetime. And oh it made God. me so sick. I was like, either I'm old or I'm just used to the, to the coaster. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I was like, man, and, um, but I, I, I had fun there and I have an appreciation for it, but for me, Disneyland or bust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I hate that I am that way and it makes me sound very privileged, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 I totally get it. Like I do like Six Flags as well and, mm-hmm. and I have an appreciation for it, but there's always this kind of like, well, where's Mickey? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we touched on things we're fanatical about, obviously, same. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. let's go on to unpopular opinions. <laughs> this is funny to me. I read yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want me to start? Go for it. Okay. So my unpopular opinion is I, I will not eat fruit that's not in its natural form. <laughs> Um, so I, except with, with the exception of like a juice or a smoothie, but like, I don't do cooked fruit. I don't do dried fruit. 
So no, like no jelly, no jam, no pie, no, you know, fruit, leather, no raisins, nothing like that. It's, there's, it's, there's something about like the texture difference when fruit is like cooked or dry. <laughs> Just like, it, it grosses me out so much. Well, this is the first I've ever heard of this, but I think a texture thing is very normal. And so I don't yeah. think you're weird in the slightest <laughs> um, because it, you're making an exception for the acai bowls and the, and the smoothies and yeah. stuff. And I think that's too funny. Um, and yeah, like, I, I think like in general, like I'm not a sweets person, so I don't tend to like go for fruit. I tend to, uh, I'm like, I'm like a French fry and ranch person. Um, I'm very much, uh, I have a very, uh, wide open palate, but like my yeah. example is always cantaloupe is trash. And then honeydew is equally <laughs> trash. It's like cantaloupe brings its, yeah, oh, I, I would find everywhere. because I, I love, like, I love any kind of melon. I'm mm. like, I'm, I'm obsessed. I have, a the, I, in terms of like sweets, like I definitely have a sweet tooth and I, and I do really like sweets. And so desserts are always hard for me because, because of the whole like cooked fruit thing. Cause mm -hmm. a lot of desserts have cooked fruit and I also hate coffee. And so like, <laughs> I don't do like tiramisu or any, you know, like stuff like that. And I have a very good friend who's like a really like successful pastry chef in LA. <laughs> and like, and he, he always like anytime I go to like his restaurant if I if I'm going like to my birthday or whatever I'll, I'll like call him ahead of time and I'll be like can you just make like a chocolate cake or something and he's like he's like it pains me to not like <laughs> to you're not like, you're like, use I can't. like fruit like I don't know like, that's so funny I love it <laughs> so funny I'm just like, like and you know it, the first time that I ever celebrated my birthday at, at the um the restaurant he used to work at I went with um with Jeff we were dating at the time actually and and that we met you know sort of romantically and then just became friends but um we were dating at the time and I, it might have actually been Jeff's birthday that we went and they you know I had I had called my friend Shannon ahead of time and said hey you know we're gonna come to the restaurant and you know, so of course the restaurant like just rolled out the red carpet because they were like, oh, you're friends with Shannon. And so, you know, we got all this extra food and whatever. And then the dessert course comes out and they just gave us like one of every dessert. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. So then I was like, well, I'm, it's rude if I don't eat these. So I'm like trying to like eat these like, you know, apple crisps. And I'm like, oh God, I just like couldn't bring myself to do it. It felt so bad. I love it so much. Uh, so no fruit. He doesn't want fruit. He doesn't want fruit pies. No fruit leather. No raisins. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Get yeah. out of his face. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> I love if it. If it's flavored, I'll do it. Like if it's like a banana cream pie or something like that. Like if, as long as it doesn't have like the chunks of banana in it. Like mm -hmm. I'll do that. But like, but yeah, no, the, no actual cooked fruit. <laughs> Well, John, we are nearing the end of this beautiful conversation and you and I probably could talk until like our ears fall off truly. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, uh, but I think we'll skip ahead kind of like to parting words and sure. just kind of, you know, if there's anything that you'd like to promote at this given time or any like businesses you're kind of like excited about or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have any, sh I mean, you know, there's no real shows at the moment, although I did, um, if, if you haven't watched it, I worked on uh, a Netflix show called Rhythm and Flow, which is a, a hip hop music competition show. And it, 
I think is a really amazing uh, show in that format of, of music competition because all of the contestants are every episode are writing their own new music and you really get to you really get to learn who they are as artists mm -hmm. and I and I think that that's I think it's really amazing and and they they have announced that there's there's going to be a second season so nice. I'm excited about that well you know ho hopefully we can start working on that soon but um if you haven't seen it I, I I highly recommend it it's it's one of the shows that I am proud to have worked on um, yeah yeah I'll I'll go ahead and link that in the description for those that are listening. Um, just, you know, we're probably at this point when this releases, we'll probably still all be in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, who knows anymore? Um, but that's awesome. And I will definitely myself take a look and watch it. That's really cool. And I'll be like, my yeah. friend did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, this has been a really awesome conversation. Do you have any parting words for my listeners? I think, you know, I think that the, the, thing that I have tried to live the most is is to not worry about what other people are doing mm -hmm. um and you know specifically with the imposter syndrome it's it I think a lot of that flares up when you are comparing yourself to others and mm -hmm. so you know I've I've tried to live by just making sure that what I'm doing is bettering me and uh, that I'm putting good energy out into the world, that I'm putting good work out into the world, and that just because someone else has a success or a failure doesn't mean that they are better or worse than I am. And, you know, we're all just trying to do our best, I think. And so, yeah, I think that's, mm -hmm. that, that's something that I, I would like people to, to think about. It, it's, it's been a helpful, it's been a helpful thing to me is, uh is to you know focus focus on yourself and and you know that not the social media of it all i think i, I think social media has been it's been a blessing and a curse I, you know mm -hmm. it's, it's um I'm, I'm sort of rambling i think but no um, no what you're saying is beautiful <laughs> yeah um but you know it, it has brought us together but it also i think it offers up too many opportunities for us to compare each other mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be about comparing or being better than someone or bragging or uh or whatnot it it really you know it, i think you have to kind of ignore ignore some of that stuff and uh, you know and just focus on on yourself and, and your journey you know Yes, absolutely. And you heard it here from John and I, I will echo that sentiment that if you um, compare yourself to others, you're going to have a bad time. You should <laughs> always kind of look at yourself and take this time to really focus on yourself, your self-betterment, your mental health. And remember that what people display is not often what is really reality. And that just because your path is winding doesn't mean that others aren't. And that, you know, there's someone that's looking at you and wishing they had what you have. So just yes. always kind of stay humble, stay alert and stay introspective. And I think that's great advice. Yeah. Well, I think we've come to the end of this awesome episode. Thank you so much, John, for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you so um, much. This was really fun. Yeah. For all my listeners, all the information of how you can get in touch with John and watch the show and all of those things, those will be in the description of the podcast. But thank you so much.
Yay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We'll talk later. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and give us a little rating. And if you're interested in becoming a guest, please reach out to me by using one of the links to the podcast social media in the description. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day.